so my jumping off point, uh, you know, it's hard, hard to define exactly when that came about. I, I think I can say that I was in active addiction and knew I needed help from October 2006 until I got sober in June of 2013. Um, but alcohol at first was a solution for me. It wasn't a problem. Uh, my problems were related to everybody else. Every, I could draw a line through every problem I had to somebody else or some institution, um, whether it was divorce or or being a teacher, not making enough money, having to work other jobs, whatever problem I had was not a problem I had created. So for me, I had to come to the point of understanding that I was the problem and that the only solution was working on me. Um, there are a lot of things that led up to that jumping off point, um, but I just couldn't, I was, I was risking everything. I was drinking on the job, I was drinking and driving, I was, I was uh, putting my commitments to my son second, but I never missed work and I didn't get a DUI. And so I had all those yets that none of that had happened to me yet. What I was is spiritually, mentally, and physically ill. I had no connection to any higher power at all. Um, mentally, my thoughts, obviously my best thinking led me to believe that drinking on the job was, was acceptable. And I was sick if I drank and I was sick if I didn't drink and um, I couldn't live like that anymore. I was sick and that's what that's what got me to AA. What about you Rusty? Well my everybody's story is is different that's what I love about uh, being in recovery to see the different stories and uh, mine would be different than Jody's in that uh, I was 42 I had been drinking since I was about 15. I knew that I was alcoholic, but I never gave it a thought about doing anything really about it. Uh, although I would blame others a lot. So, and I was one of those guys that I was a, I was a person that I liked to be out in the clubs I had started running in clubs when I was just a young kid. So uh, I was out all the time and driving, and I would get one DUI. I had about, it was either four or five. I don't, I don't really remember. But the last one I got, they sent me, the, the sentencing was, you know, you had a big fine, which didn't bother me at that time. And they sent me to AA, and boy, that was like, that scared the hell out of me. So when I started going to AA, um, I had plenty of reason to be there. I just didn't know it. My wife had left the year before. I had got fired from my job, only job I ever got fired from, and it was for drinking on the job. So when I went in there, when I went to AA, I picked a meeting that was real close to my bar. I I would go down to the bar to begin in the at you know before I'd go to that meeting and I'd have two or three drinks and then I'd go on to the meeting and after the meeting I'd go back to the bar and I'd tell all them guys in there you know about all them crazy people up there at that AA meeting. But as I kept going and I had I had a sheet back back then uh, this is before they had drug court or anything. I had, a, and they had sentenced me to a year, 
to go to AA plus the fine, like I said. And as I went through that, I continued to drink for probably maybe a month or so, but I was listening to what they had to say. And one morning after a drunk, I went in to get a beer, and I reached in, and I said, you know, I'm not going to drink today. I'm not going to do it today. And that was November the 26th, 83, and I haven't had a drink or a mood-altering drug since. The group I went into was called Sobriety Live, and one of their things was that sobriety meant you were free and clear of any mood-altering drugs. And that meant, and when I asked the guy, I said, well, does that mean Valium? He said, oh, yeah, because Valium was, is a, a very addictive drug. So I came off of that also at that time. So you'd be, you stopped all mind-altering substances that's correct at the same yeah time. yeah i did and that first year was really really crazy for me nobody told me the side effects of uh withdrawal from valium so it was pretty crazy my story looks a little bit different than yours mm -hmm. i i too am an alcoholic and my disease was getting larger and larger and was, in fact, impacting how I lived my life. It, it got to a point to where I was drinking from about 4.30 in the morning and I'd go to work and I'd drink at lunch and I'd get off work and I would stop on the way home and then I would go to the grocery store and get more alcohol and go home and drink till 1.30 in the morning and sleep or pass out for about three hours after night, after night. And I lived in an area where public transit was plentiful, subways, buses, Mm -hmm. I do those things. I didn't have to drive. Mm -hmm. I could walk or I could take public transit. Other than the physical repercussions on my body that were happening, there were no consequences. Mm -hmm. Other, no consequences I could see. My position in my career was becoming a problem, a problem for me, and I was becoming a problem for my employer. I, I wound up moving back home, and you don't do public transit in Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> in Tulsa, Oklahoma, you leave your residence you get in a vehicle, you drive to where you're going, you park in front of that establishment, and you get out and walk in. And you do the same thing to get home. Mm -hmm. 
I had not faced driving under the influence of alcohol. Mm. And that was happening the first two weeks I moved back home. The realization really came one night and the next day I had been talked into going to an AA meeting and I had been talking with this relative for quite a while and she was encouraging me to go and I finally went just to get her to quit asking. Mm -hmm. If I go, she won't ask anymore. Of course, I went under the influence of alcohol. And I went to three meetings that way. I realized on my way to the second meeting, I was driving, I was intoxicated, that I can't do this. The speed limit is 40 miles an hour, and I can't get up to 30 miles an hour because it's too fast. Mm -hmm. And I didn't say anything. And it was the same way going home. It was absolutely terrifying. We went to a noon meeting the next day, and there is a semi-residential thoroughfare that's just a two-lane road and it has a lower speed limit of 30 or 35 miles an hour. I couldn't get to 20 miles an hour because in my head it was too fast. Mm -hmm. And by the time I got back to my apartment, I knew that I was in trouble mm -hmm. and that I could not do this anymore because something was gonna happen and I don't think I'd do well in jail. Mm -hmm. So I called my niece and asked for help and asked her to take me to detox because I didn't know how to get off of alcohol. And that was my jumping off point. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that as we all talk, our, our stories are very different. Our backgrounds are very different. Mm -hmm. The solution was exactly the same and it was finally going, I'm finished, uh, I've got to have help, whether we were forced by the courts uh, or, or driving like you were and realizing that, or me, I was just physically sick no matter what I did. Um, one thing I've heard a, a lot in meetings is about other conditions and underlying conditions. So mm -hmm. I, wonder, I wonder what it would look like if, if we spent some time talking about some of those underlying issues. So let me give you an example. Um, I have a great uncle that died of alcoholism, but nobody ever talked about it. Um, so addiction runs in my family. Turns out it runs on both sides of my family, I now know. But there was never any wondering if uh, myself or my brother or our cousins would be alcoholics or addicted because it wasn't talked about in our family, right? Mm -hmm. um, I can remember as a very young child, not only feeling different, but acting different. So on Saturday mornings, I would rearrange the pantry from largest to smallest on the shelves and turn all the labels a certain way. And my parents never clued in. They thought it was great, I, but I couldn't mm -hmm. stand it. And in the classroom, I couldn't stand it if my items weren't perfect 
uh, and if everybody else's items weren't kind of aligned and not everybody lives that way uh, in high school I was just a nervous wreck I was just afraid that I was going to be exposed I didn't know for what just had a fear well that's really an anxiety I, I was afraid of being found out that I was a fraud or not I just had low self-esteem and, and anxiety um, and in college I realized that rage fixed a lot of that for me I also had major depression but I didn't know it and and getting angry at someone else and yelling or screaming or flipping a chair putting fists through the wall punching the steering wheel breaking a window felt really good uh, and the campus had free talk therapy and so I engaged in therapy very early on but my underlying conditions um, had been there and remained undiagnosed for a long time and uh, turns out alcohol would solve those very quickly right so it wasn't just all of a sudden I was alcoholic I had these other things I was dealing with that looked like uh, mental illness or anxiety or depression or OCD coupled with a family history of alcoholism so I don't know if I was born an alcoholic the day I was born or if at some point an alcoholic was born but there were a lot of things aligned to make alcohol the solution to my uh, issues that were that I was born with and the ones that I created. Mm -hmm. uh, Tim, what about you? I I am and have always been a person with an addictive personality. If I like something, I want it all. From ice cream, if I have a bowl of ice cream, it's not enough. I have to have all of it. This started at a very early age. Happened before I was 10, I was introduced to smoking. Several of us from my neighborhood would go to a country club that was nearby and go to the caddy shack and they had the old machine where you put in your coins and you pull the lever mm -hmm. <laughs> and the cigarettes pop out the bottom. <clears throat> Occasion they would ask us what we thought we were doing and the answer was we're buying cigarettes for this kid's dad to take back to him and away we went. And we would stop in the creek, at a creek, and we would smoke. And if we didn't have the money to go buy cigarettes, we discovered that you could smoke grapevine. And you still got that same sensation, only it was a different sensation. It uh, made you wobbly. It was kind of invigorating. And so this went on, and I, I literally became a daily smoker at 13. And I carried that addiction for a long, long time, long enough that it was very, de very detrimental to my health. You know, also when I was 13, I was introduced to marijuana. While that was not a daily usage, it was frequent, and it came to a point to where I used marijuana 
morning, noon, and night. A, uh, my spouse had told me at one point that you're going to have to stop doing this because if we're driving down the road and you get stopped and you have marijuana in the car, I'm going to lose my professional license. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I learned to go underground. And at, at that point, hiding it was difficult. And so my usage decreased and decreased to where I finally didn't. But as marijuana usage went down, alcohol became a replacement for that. You know, I wasn't like the rest of the kids in high school. I did not like alcohol. I had my substance. That, you know, first started off in a social fashion, but there were many times after a night out that I would go home and I would get sick and I would wind up spending the night on the bathroom floor. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't a problem. Mm. That progressed until to a point to where uh, every weekend we used to go to one of several friends' houses and we talked and we drank. We, that's what we did. It was a normal Friday or Saturday or both nights. I took a job out of town, and when I did that, my alcohol intake and usage grew dramatically because I was bored, and I needed something to let my mind go somewhere else besides work. Not only did I become a daily drinker, it it came to a point that it was impacting you know, my work, I found that I was drinking morning, noon, night, and all night. And that was impacting my uh, position and my relationship. I wound up coming back home. So in this point of drinking day and night, my confidence was gone my ability to work with other people was gone in fact five years before I got to my jumping off point my boss walked in my office one morning and said we gotta have a talk you appear to be either drunk or high most every day you are argumentative and combative conversationally and none of your people want to work with you anymore. Had the time been right that could have led to me stopping drinking but the time wasn't right and the time was not right until I got back to Tulsa and was so desperate and realized that I could not cope with what was going on around me, hence the driving and not being able to get up to the speed limit. Yeah, Rusty, um, we've, we've 
we know that that there can be a predisposition to alcohol so maybe it's genetic parts of it but for you were there man so maybe that's true for you i don't know um, mm-hmm. but are there other underlying conditions that, that you think led you down this path as well yeah there's a, there was a lot of uh, underlying although i do believe i was alcoholic when i was born i thought it was just a uh, uh it just was waiting for me to take that first drink but underlying conditions they didn't make me alcoholic but they and when you talked about rage i i i identify that i talk about that a lot because people for years would say you know rusty you're awful angry i didn't know that i was rageful till i got in recovery it had always been, you know, you're angry. You're so angry, but nobody ever said rage. And what I've come to learn over many years now is that I was so rageful. I was so angry. I had sexual abuse. I was raised in that alcoholic family. There was a lot of uh, physical abuse, uh, not just with me, but with people. My, my stepdad and my mom they both they were both physically abusive to each other so i saw this stuff and you internalize it and it becomes uh, a part of who you are you what you're really doing you're incorporating the anger and the rage and you don't know what is you don't even know that's happening to you when, when I got here, uh, and I like I said, I came in through the courts. When I was sent here by the courts, as we've talked about earlier, it wasn't my intent to get sober. My intent was to get this stuff taken care of, really to get myself sober for a while so I could get my life back in order, at least. But as time went on, and this went on, Listen, I had, I used to, uh, I had a plan in my head that after I had a, that year behind me, I was buying me, myself tickets to the, some South Sea Island, and I was going to, you know, really, I, I thought this, and I was going to, you know, there'd be women there, and I'd get, I'd be right back in the heart of it, but by the time that I got to that year, I was totally immersed in AA. That's what happened for me. When I got uh, my sobriety days, I said earlier, it was the 26th of November, 83. But that's not when I decided to stay sober. That just came in small increments along the way. So by the time that I got to a year, uh, and they started talking to me about celebrating my one year, that's when I really said, you know, I'm really going to be a part of this group. I'm going to be a, I was going all the time, I was doing all that, but in I still hadn't made that final jumping off where I was really committing without any of the, the law enforcement behind it or anything, I was there because I wanted to be there. For me, I immediately felt better the first day I came into a meeting. I was able to say for the first time, 
my name's Jody and I'm an alcoholic and I've wanted to say that for a long time and it'd be okay. And everybody in the room went, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was it. I went back every day after that. I got the, the literature. I started reading it and paying attention to it and really held on to one day at a time. I didn't have to worry about everything that had happened before or what might happen in the future. Just focus on that one day and that stacked up and stacked up and stacked up um i i wanted a better life for me but but also for my son and i knew that if i kept going i was going to deprive him of every every chance he had of having a a decent dad around and and i just wanted to be a better person but so my jumping off point was um i mean for a year and a half or two years before i got sober i took all the assessments online I bought used self-help, book, self-help books at Goodwill because I didn't want to invest too much. Uh, I read all <laughs> kinds of memoirs and self-help books that I had and tried everything. I would start and stop and start and stop and start and stop and start and stop. And so I, I was tired of that. And it took a toll, ment- as I had mentioned, mentally and physically and spiritually. And for me, when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, it was like plugging into a power source. Like I had been carrying this around, looking for something to plug into, to renew me, to to give me that that surge of energy, and, and it was AA. I have a relative that has been in the AA program for more than 30 years. And over my life, I'd gone to about three AA meetings when she was celebrating a birthday. Mm. That's it. When I got back to Tulsa, my jumping off point came rather quickly, within a couple weeks. And, you know, I've talked about going to the meetings and the driving, but when I, at that point, driving down 36th Street, I knew that I could not do what I was doing anymore, but I didn't know how to not do what I was doing anymore. Yeah. I could not go forward living with alcohol, but I didn't know how to not live without alcohol. In fact, I had no control over alcohol. If I started drinking, I'm drinking at all. Mm-hmm. And my life was going to hell in a handbasket. And so before I ever got to AA, I had done my for- my first step, but I didn't know it. I was powerless over alcohol and my life had become unmanageable. Check. That's me. I voluntarily went to a detox program. I did not go to a rehab program. I just went to the detox program and went to a meeting the night I got out of detox. And then I went to a 7 a.m. meeting the next morning and walked in the door And the person that was leading the meeting was a family friend of 50 years. Hmm. And I thought, oh, crap. What's he doing here? Mm -hmm. 
today he's my sponsor and has been all along. But in the going through detox, I do not know what happened. But when I walked in the door, I walked in the door with a clean sheet of paper and I was willing to do everything I was told to do. And because of that, I'm here today. We want to focus on addiction and recovery and addiction and recovery in America and what is it that that looks like. We have a standard definition of addiction and you know let, let's let's read that and then Rusty maybe you'd comment on the various types of addiction we might encounter and then we'll wrap it up mm -hmm. so one definition of addiction is that addiction is a primary chronic disease of brain reward motivation memory and related circuitry dysfunctions in these circuits lead to characteristic biological psychological social and spiritual manifestations well there's uh, we know today that there's so many things that people become addicted to. Anne-Marie Schroff wrote a great book in the 90s called When Society Becomes an Addict. I was telling my wife the other day that uh, she's reading the book now. Uh, I told her that, you know, what she wrote in the 90s is exactly what is going on today in this country and has been going on for a long time. They're so, you know, alcoholics and addicts uh, is just the tip of the iceberg. We've got eating disorders. We've got pornography. We've got, the list goes on. I, I can't remember. There's a there's hundred or so different 12-step meetings that are related to this. Um, most alcoholics, we know, have also what we call cold alcoholics, addicts, all of, all of us have these co-occurring disorders. Uh, most prevalent probably is anxiety and depression that we live with. I, I don't think I've ever met an uh, alcoholic that hasn't at, least, hasn't at least had one of those, either depression or anxiety, and most of the time it's, it's both. The OCD is right up there with the rest of them. And ADHD and ADD, we, many, many, many. I mean, you'll see it if, you're, if uh, you stick around a while, you'll see all of that going on. Our country in general, uh, we, they talk about the war on drugs. Uh, they talk about closing the borders. It won't matter how many borders you close. They'll, as long as there, there's that demand, they're going to be a supply. And there is a huge, I mean, when you think about this, and I, and I have, of course, I, you can go to the smallest hamlet in any state, and you're going to, it won't take you long if you're looking for drugs. I'm not talking about just alcohol. No, no, no. I'm talking about marijuana. For me, uh, marijuana is most one of the most dangerous drugs because 
it it's still and I know people disagree with this but it is a gateway drug plus if you start that it we know today that it affects the brain and how it affects the brain and people can become addicted to our uh, to marijuana they just, I mean it's proven over and over now so uh, that's why so many people ran down and got their marijuana card as soon as that law passed. So there's so much that uh, there's probably very few people that's not taking anything for some kind of addiction that they have. And pornography has just exploded with the internet. People uh, they get deeper and deeper down that rabbit hole with all of it. But, but the, you know, a lot of this stuff, they, they, the internet has, has, uh, and with our children, you know, that, that's the sad part with our children, all the drugs, they can buy them over the internet, the pornography, they can get that over the internet. It just goes on and on. I, I, I would hate to be a young person growing up today. I really would. It's it's uh, they're exposed to so much so early. This has been a production of Children of Chaos.net, and we invite you to share your thoughts with us via email to comments at childrenofchaos.net. Children of Chaos is a forum to discuss topics related to and in concert with addiction and recovery in America is not affiliated with, endorsed, or financed by any recovery or treatment program, organization, or institution. Any views, thoughts, or opinions expressed by an individual in this venue are solely that of the individual and do not reflect the views, policies, or position of any specific recovery-based entity or organization.